Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello there, Six Packers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode number six. Whenever politicians and their parties want to pass new legislation that our reason warns us is bad legislation, they always repeat the mantra that it's for the children. Quoting Ronald Reagan, government is not a solution to our problem, government is the problem. Nothing from the government on the federal, state, or local levels that applies to family and or children is ever good. That's because we've driven God out of our society with a misinterpretation and misapplication of the First Amendment of the Constitution. It's also because government is waging a war on family. At no time is government more dangerous to families than when it passes legislation designed to abrogate parental control and authority. Hillary Clinton infamously told us that it takes a village to rear a child. Baloney! What it takes to rear a child are committed and loving parents, especially fathers. And although children aren't born with an instruction manual in their little hands, we still have an inerrant instruction manual at our disposal. But the vast majority of parents are really too lazy to use it. Of course, I'm talking about the Bible. We'll talk about this and other family issues after this. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Like I said, the Bible is our inerrant manual for child rearing. Actually, even though Protestants have the same Bible we have in the New Testament, we have an added advantage that Protestants lack. We have an infallible church to explain the Bible to us on how to rear children. I'm not kidding about the Bible being an instruction manual on child rearing, as we'll soon see. Let's begin this by looking at a few problems with modern children and their parents. I'd like to first make it emphatically clear that any chronic behavior from a child that is less than acceptable isn't that child's fault. A child will only behave in a way that's deemed acceptable by the parents. But the unfortunate reality is that a majority of parents have abrogated their parental responsibilities. 
They want schools, both parochial and government schools, to not only educate their kids, but they also want the school to teach them right from wrong and how to live in society. That's mom and dad's job. Mom and dad want to be buddies instead of parents. We see this all the time. It's natural for every parent to want for their children what they perceive as a better life than the one they had. I get that. But there's one major difference between the current generation of parents from previous generations. Life in the Occidental world has been so materialistically good in the 21st century that the vast majority of today's parents were turned into spoiled, materialistic brats by their parents. And they're people who have no earthly idea what self-sacrifice, pain, suffering, remember, no pain, no gain, the common good, planning, and saving for the future are all about. Consequently, many modern parents pretty much let their children rear themselves or be reared by others while trying to be their kid's buddy. This is a recipe for disaster. The generation that reared my generation had lived through at least a significant part of the Great Depression and World War II, so they understood what it meant to do without and serve the common good. They weren't a me generation, they were a we generation. But like every other generation, they wanted better for their children than they had for themselves. So with the medical, technological, and lifestyle advancements brought on by World War II, my generation ended up spoiled and tending towards selfishness. That's why we had the social upheaval of the tumultuous 60s. But many of the values our parents tried to instill in us while they spoiled us eventually kicked in as we matured. So while baby boomers started out in life pretty rough, we actually ended up a fairly decent generation, except in parenting. I'm a great-grandfather. The generation we baby boomers reared is known by most sociologists as Generation X. We reared our children just as the greatest generation reared us, minus attempting to pass on our values and a firm belief in God. We more or less reared our children to be honest and obey the law, but we really didn't pass on anything else in the way of morals because we didn't have any to pass on. The advent of the internet and social media gave us an entire generation that has never known anything else. And those technologies are mostly used for evil. So we reared the next generation, Generation Y, almost completely devoid of any sort of moral absolutes. Indeed, modern young people think nothing of cohabitation when most in my generation would have been mortified at such a thought. And high school girls in my day were spoken of in whispers if they were found in the family way. But many high schools today even have daycare centers. My grandchildren's generation, millennials, has been reared to accept as normal every sort of political correctness, evil, and perversion. That's why we see society about to implode today. God only knows how my great-grandchildren will be reared if they're even around. One way we see current children being reared is not to be reared at all. We see the evidence of this every Sunday at Mass. 
Children old enough to be taught about the Mass and what they're supposed to do are instead allowed to distract everybody else so those people can't participate well in worship of God. Or parents occupy their children with an endless supply of finger foods and games or toys. The parents are not being parents. As an experienced parent who has a few lived experiences in life under his belt, I can tell you these children will grow into their adolescence as demanding, disrespectful, disobedient mental midgets who can't even pass a basic American history quiz, let alone the basics of our faith. You know it's true because we see them in the papers and on the TV all the time. They're called Antifa militants or gang members. I don't blame these kids, though. I blame their parents, who would rather be buddies than parents. Note this well. You can be a parent now and discipline your children as God intended, or you can rest assured a criminal court judge will do it for you later. Believe me, your kids' ire for you disciplining them now beats the living daylights out of what a judge will give them in the way of discipline all day long. You don't know what pain is until you've seen your child led away in handcuffs and leg irons. Now let me tell you a little story as we shift to the family in general and then come back to kids and moms. A father came home from work and was incredibly exhausted, but his young son wanted some of daddy's attention. So daddy thought he could relax a little if he gave his son something to occupy him for a while. Daddy grabbed the newspaper he wanted to read, found a big ad with a picture of the world, then he tore it into a lot of pieces. He said to his son, Tommy, let's see if you can play this game and show Daddy how smart you are. This is a picture of the world when it's put together. See if you can put the world together. The father left his son working eagerly on the floor to put the puzzle together, so he picked up the paper to read it. Before he even finished the first article, Tommy surprised him by bringing the picture to him perfectly assembled. The father was astonished. He said, Tommy, done already? How did you do this so quickly? Tommy replied, there was a picture of a family on the back. When I got the family right, the world fell into place. Tommy was absolutely correct. When the family is right, the whole world falls into place. According to Our Lady of Fatima, the last great battle between heaven and hell will be for the family. We're in the midst of that battle right now, and it's one that began with World War II, which Our Lady of Fatima also warned us about. There's no such thing as the perfect family, eh, unless you hail from the Holy Family, I suppose. Every family is dysfunctional. That dysfunction is a consequence of the effects of original sin in the lives of individual family members. The more we give ourselves over to the effects of original sin, you know what I mean, uh, avoiding obedience to God's laws and self-discipline, that sort of thing, the more dysfunctional family. That's just the natural order of human nature. Prior to World War II, Dad was the breadwinner, holding two jobs, if necessary, while Mom cared for her husband, children, and home, which, incidentally, is the most exalted vocation anyone can have. And both of them were very generous with God by bringing as many children into the world as he would deign to send them. 
The children earned whatever money they had, rather than having allowances simply given to them. They'd also help their parents around the house, making their physical work contributions to the family. And they didn't hold out greedy little hands for doing work that was part of their family responsibilities. They were rightly taught not to expect it. I'll digress here to mention that I actually learned about allowances and a child's role in the family when I was still in grade school. Every kid in my neighborhood got an allowance except me. I asked my father several times if I could have an allowance, but he said no, without exception. One day I'd worked up the nerve to ask him why I couldn't have an allowance like all of my friends. He said, son, does anyone pay your mother for cooking her meals, cleaning the house, or doing laundry? I shook my head, so he continued. Does anyone pay me for keeping the house and cars in good repair? I said, no, sir. Finally, he said, then why should we pay you to carry out the garbage, make your bed, and mow the lawn? You're part of this family, and you have responsibilities here just like we do. Dad made a good point, and it was impossible to argue with his logic. Besides, because my dad was a parent and not a buddy, attempting any argument with his logic wouldn't have been wise at all. Anyway, the type of family I've described is quite rare in America these days, although I know a few of them. They're typically only found in Norman Rockwell paintings or maybe the old TV show Leave it to Beaver. The only well-known modern example I can think of is the family in the now-canceled reality show that bears their name, the Duggars. What has changed? All the changes have happened because of Satan's war on the family. Sadly, most Americans, including Catholics, seem to think the consequences of the war on the family and their own families is not only acceptable, but that it's actually good. In order to demonstrate this fallacy of modern goodness, let's start with the husband-father. It's time for men to reclaim their rightful, God-given role in the family. Some of their God-given roles, including rights and responsibilities, have been abrogated by the men themselves. Others have been made passe by a godless culture and society, particularly radical feminism and the big government nanny state that believes it can run a family better than families can. The effects of original sin, a morally bankrupt culture and society, identity politics, and destructive ideologies that can't be squared with Catholic moral teaching have all turned modern men into absolute wimps. I'm speaking generally, of course. Certainly not all men are this way, but this is demonstrated throughout our society at large. One evidence? As I was growing up and coming of age, men were certainly not ideally fulfilling their roles as husbands and fathers, but they were much closer to what they were supposed to be than they are today. When was the last time you saw a man hold a door for a woman? Men, when was the last time you actually did that? When men held women in high esteem, as it should be, it was almost considered a social sin if a man didn't hold a door for a lady, and men who saw other men failing to do so were held in contempt. It's all about venerating womanhood. Have you ever wondered why original sin is often referred to as Adam's sin, when it was Eve who disobeyed God first? Following conventional wisdom and the feminist ideology we're all compelled to accept as dogma, original sin should rightly be called Eve's sin. But it's called Adam's sin. Why? 
Because, like it or not, ladies, man was created first. The woman was created from the man, as we see in Genesis 2, verses 7 and 23. This means the man is the leader, the head of the family, and he's charged with being responsible for his family, thus the first sin being Adam's rather than Eve's. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 22-24, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the church is subject to Christ, so that wives be subject in everything to their husbands. Like many Catholic truths, this one isn't taught much anymore, and feminists hate it. But it's still a Catholic truth that has been taught for 2,000 years. Before anyone gets all out of joint about this, let's place the proper emphasis on it. What Paul wrote doesn't mean the husband is a tyrant who lords over his wife. Paul also says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. What all this means is that the man is the natural head of the family and the wife is to be subject to his leadership in all that's not sinful. The onus here is on the man, though, not the woman. A husband has the responsibility to always put his wife's needs over his own, which is the most basic principle of leadership in the first place. What are her most basic needs? Well, to be loved, provided for, and treated with tenderness, respect, and loyalty. A man who's been married 50 years should treat his wife with the romantic tenderness he had for her when they were newlyweds, because they're one flesh, not two. This is sometimes difficult to do when disagreements arise, but it's certainly doable. That's why Paul said that marriage is a great mystery in Ephesians. We modern men are lazy and selfish, period. A man's role in the family is to be the spiritual and temporal leader. We're to put our wives and children before everything else except God. Do we have a right to get the toys we want from the fruits of our labor? Sure we do, after absolutely everything else for our family is taken care of. You might say, but I do that, Joe. I'm not selfish. Really? Part of your family's needs is in the spiritual realm. Have you been helping your wife to become a saint? After all, that's one of the primary responsibilities we have as Catholic men because growth in mutual holiness is one of the purposes of matrimony. Do your kids know the faith as well as they should? Sending them to religious classes at the parish isn't enough. According to the church, parents are the primary teachers, and I assure you what they get at the parish isn't complete. No matter how great your priest might be, unless he's the one doing the actual instruction, and most likely he's not, your children aren't getting everything they need. It's your job, gentlemen, to make sure your kids are thoroughly instructed. That isn't done by pawning them off on a parish PSR instructor. That's only a basis for what they need. 
on the joesixpackanswers.com website, I offer a free email course. It's written for modern adults, but the information it covers, with the exception of only a very few things, used to be taught to every Catholic school child 70 years ago. Sadly, some of the Catholics who've taken that course have told me the course is like something you'd get in a Catholic college. But that material is exactly what your children need to be learning. So do you. And if you aren't teaching them because you're too busy, you're being selfish. Your wife and children can't become saints if you don't go to the effort of leading your family. When you won't lead, they can't become saints. Furthermore, you can't become a saint if you're not leading them to sanctity. You might respond, well, Joe, I don't want to be a saint. Then why are you a Catholic? Jesus said you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that one-sentence statement from Christ is incredibly profound and pregnant. He says you must be perfect. How perfect? As perfect as the Father. How perfect is the Father? infinitely perfect. And what Jesus said is a command, not a suggestion. He didn't say that you need to try to be perfect. He said you must be perfect. The verb must makes it a command. Is perfection possible? Well, in a word, yes. Jesus commands perfection in Matthew 5:48, and he'd never require anyone to do anything that isn't possible. When the church recognizes someone as a saint, that's an infallible pronouncement that the person's soul is in heaven, and no one imperfect can enter heaven, according to Revelation 21:27. Every single saint was perfect by the time he or she died, so achieving perfection is something that requires lifelong effort and constant diligence. But perfection, as commanded by Jesus, can't be achieved on our own. We have to work with our eternal life coach, you know, God, in order to achieve perfection. That's done by doing what's required of us to constantly increase sanctifying grace and by responding well to the actual graces God sends our way every minute of every day. Men, you can't help your wife and children become saints until you're earnestly working on sanctity yourself. And here's another shocking wake-up call for you. Until you begin actively working on your own sanctity, and by extension, that of your wife and kids, you're subliminally telling them you don't completely love them, that other things in your life are more important than their ultimate good. Exactly what you need to do to achieve holiness is an altogether different topic, one that would require me to write an entire book and do a long series of podcasts. But I can give you a few pointers here. The very first thing you need to do is make up your mind here and now to get serious about your relationship to God by making Jesus and his holy Catholic Church the number one priority in your life. God is the primary focus in your life actually liberates you to fulfill your other responsibilities. The second thing you need to do is make a good confession and get into the routine of making one each and every week. I'd suggest a general confession early on. A general confession would be everything in your life from the age of the use of reason or from baptism for you converts. Even though you've already confessed those things, it doesn't hurt to do them again in a general confession. That way you make sure everything is covered. 
The third thing I'd recommend is that you find a good spiritual director. Be careful about who you choose to direct your soul. Just because a man's a priest doesn't necessarily mean he'll make a good spiritual director. Not every priest is equipped to be a spiritual director. Most aren't really trained for it, and among those who are, most haven't been trained in classical spiritual direction. Priests who aren't trained, or who have been trained in this modern psychologically-based mumbo-jumbo, might possibly end up having the opposite of the desired effect and cause grave consequences for your immortal soul. That's not the intention of the priest, though. It's just what it is. I'm going to digress here to make one thing perfectly clear right now. What I've thus far said about some priests not making good spiritual directors isn't intended to be at all disparaging of any priest. For example, I know a priest I'd go to for any theological question, but he lacks the ability to connect as a spiritual director, as well as lacking in knowledge of some of the principles of spiritual direction. On the other hand, a priest I had years ago was a very good spiritual director, but he'd be just about the last priest I'd go to for any complex theological question. He simply wasn't grounded in advanced theology, but he was still a very holy priest. Another way to say it is, you wouldn't go to a brain surgeon for a heart problem. Just like any other professional man, a priest has strong points he excels in, but has limitations in other areas. My priest for theological questions has a strong background in theology, but he lacks a strong knowledge of the principles of spiritual direction and affairs of the soul. Yet he's just as good and holy as the other priests. In addition to avoiding asking priests who aren't experiencing classical spiritual direction, I wholeheartedly recommend you avoid asking a nun or a layperson to direct you. There may be some very good ones out there, I'm sure, but your best bet is always a priest because a priest possesses the sacramental graces of holy orders. The age of the priest doesn't matter, only the degree of apparent holiness. My spiritual director has only been a priest about eight years, but he's a very holy man, wise beyond his years, and he's well-versed in classical spiritual direction. I knew this even before asking him because it was apparent to me he applied classical spiritual direction principles to his own life. And under no circumstances let anyone get away with telling you the old ways of spiritual direction don't work anymore, that mankind and the church have advanced beyond those archaic ways. Baloney! Times may change, but man is the very same as he was when our first parents brought original sin into the world. When classical spirituality and direction were at a peak, hundreds, maybe even thousands, of saints came flowing out of the heart of the church. How many saints do you see being made today? If classical spirituality was good enough for the likes of St. Teresa of Avila, St. Anthony of Padua, St. John Bosco, and innumerable others, it should certainly be good enough for you. The classical principles of spiritual direction are proven to work, whereas the new ways aren't. I suppose this is an example of moving forward by going backward. In other words, this is a situation where the old ways work better than the new. It's just another case of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. A vital part of getting serious with God is forming a right conscience. 
In an era where upwards of 90% of Catholics daily offend God with the mortal sin of contraception and never, or almost never, bother to enter the confessional, I'd say we have a conscience formation problem. We have to work on the formation of our consciences. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Be a man! It's time to renounce artificial contraception, pornography, carelessly offending God, being selfish with Him, and being selfish with our families by not putting their spiritual welfare first. Be a man! Only selfish and lazy men practice artificial contraception. The official church has never been hesitant to say this is a sin worthy of eternal condemnation. Be a man! Forget about your toys for a moment. You say you can't afford more kids, and that's why you practice contraception? That simply isn't true 9 out of 10 times. You spend a lot of money that doesn't need to be spent. And even if money is a problem, contraception is the wrong solution. Try learning natural family planning, also called NFP. NFP actually forces you to learn a little bit about self-control as well, which is good for your soul on so many levels. Be a man! Nearly 7 out of 10 Catholic men regularly view pornography, despite God's prohibition in the 7th and 10th commandments. Gentlemen, viewing pornography places your soul in eternal jeopardy, and it proves the need for you to learn and practice self-control. Be a man! Speaking of the commandments on sexual purity, take your rightful role of leadership in your family. You can and must forbid your wives and daughters from wearing suggestive clothing. Every Sunday, the local parish is filled with women wearing short skirts and dresses with necklines that show entirely too much cleavage. If they dress that way for Mass, how on earth do they dress the rest of the time? By allowing the women of your families to dress that way endangers both their souls and yours. Furthermore, by not demanding a regulation of suggestive clothing, you aid other men in objectifying your wives and daughters as objects of sexual desire. I don't know about you, but I certainly wouldn't want other men having sexual thoughts about my wife or daughter. Be a man! Quit trying to be a buddy to your children and start being a parent. As I've said before, if you don't begin to discipline your children now, a criminal court judge will do it when it's too late. Be a man! The average American family has $15,000 in credit card debt. Get your family spending under control. Cut up your cards. If you can't afford to pay cash, it's something you really don't need anyway. Not only will this help you master self-discipline, but you're violating the Seventh Commandment by contracting debts beyond your means. Oh, the credit card companies will tell you that you're not living beyond your means, and they're only too happy to loan you more money at an exorbitant rate of interest. But to deny that you're living beyond your means isn't living in reality. If you have debt beyond a mortgage and you're not able to save a substantial part of your income, you are living beyond your means. Be a man! It's time to be the man, husband, and father God intended you to be. The church still teaches that the man is the head of the family, and she always will teach that, because God himself gave us that teaching. And since God can't change, his laws can't change. Therefore, you must assume your rightful role. I'd suggest you read the document Into the Breach by Bishop Olmsted of Phoenix. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Be a man!
because comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ Church is full of scandal. Our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, and laity-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. Today's Catholic Contributor is a man by the name of John Kipley. John has been tied to a defense of Humanae Vitae both theologically and with providing practical help for Catholics to live out its teachings. In the midst of the dissent from Humanae Vitae in 1968, Kipley looked at the arguments of the dissenters and concluded that the weakness of their arguments were actually an argument in support of the doctrine of marital contraception reaffirmed by the famous encyclical of Pope Paul VI. Accordingly, he wrote a book called Covenant, Christ, and Contraception. In the book, he put forth the covenant theology of sexuality that can be summarized in 17 words. Sexual intercourse is intended by God to be, at least implicitly, a renewal of the marriage covenant. In 1971, he and his wife Sheila formed an organization to promote and teach natural family planning. The organization, the Couple to Couple League, grew to become one of the largest providers of NFP services in the United States. John and Sheila launched NFP International in 2003. The website, nfpandmore.org, contains a wealth of information regarding natural family planning, most of which will not be found elsewhere. Sheila Kipley posts a blog weekly, and many of these blogs deal with breastfeeding and other health-related research. In addition to Sex and the Marriage Covenant, his books include Marriages for Keeps and Natural Family Planning, The Complete Approach. He has authored a number of articles, brochures, and booklets, including Birth Control and Christian Discipleship. The Kiplies live in Cincinnati. Their five grown children have thus far given them 11 grandchildren. 
John Kipley is a genuine Catholic hero who has made a significant Catholic contribution. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Anyone who follows Notre Dame football is familiar with the name Newt Rockney. He was the head coach there for 13 years when it was still an authentic Catholic university, and he was one of the greatest college football coaches in history. At a breakfast concluding the annual layman's retreat at once Catholic Notre Dame, the famous coach told the story of his conversion to the Catholic Church. He said, I used to be impressed deeply at the sight of my players receiving communion every morning, and finally I made a point of going to Mass with them on the morning of a game. One night before a big game in the East, I was nervous and worried about the outcome of the game the next day and was unable to sleep. I tossed and rolled about in the bed and finally decided I'd get up and get dressed, then go down to the lobby. So I took a chair and tried to get that football game off my mind by engaging some bellboys in conversation. Along about 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, I started pacing the lobby of the hotel when suddenly I ran into two of my own players hurrying out. I asked them where they were going at such an hour, although I had a good idea. Then I retired to a chair in the corner of the lobby where I couldn't be seen, but where I could see everyone who went in or out the door in pairs and groups. And finally, when they were all about gone, I got near the door so I could question the next player who came along. In a minute or two, the last of the squad hurried out of an elevator and made for the door. I stopped them and asked them if they too were going to Mass, and they replied they were. I decided to go along with them. Although they probably didn't realize that these youngsters were making a powerful impression on me with their piety and devotion. And when I saw all of them walking up to the communion rail to receive and realize the several hours of sleep they had sacrificed in order to do this, I understood for the first time what a powerful ally their religion was. I began to see the light to know what was missing in my life. Later on, I had the great pleasure of being able to join my boys at the communion rail. On First Communion Day at Notre Dame, several small boys knelt in the front seats of the chapel. At communion time, they left their seats. Two by two, they walked up the aisle to the altar rail. Each boy, except the last, had a partner. A man left his seat and walked with the boy. It was the boy's father. Just before the priest placed Jesus on Junior's tongue, the little boy turned to his father. Daddy, please, he begged, go back to your seat. You can't receive Holy Communion. You're not a Catholic. The priest heard the little boy. Don't worry, Junior, said the priest kindly. It's all right. I baptized your daddy last night. The man was Newt Rockney. In 1931, Rockney was killed in a plane crash. They found him with a rosary in his hand. The good example of his football players were actual graces for Rockney. That is what he meant when he said, I began to see the light. The graces also strengthened him to imitate their devotion. Are you an example to others? All of us have our own Rockney out there. I know because it's happened to me before. If you really care about the souls of others, try always to be an example in your daily life. I'll see you next time, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction 
don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.